What if we throw out a lot of the rules of ministry and instead plant churches, make disciples, launch businesses, and jump into economic development endeavors in America like we would if we were missionaries or entrepreneurs at an international location? Did you know that most church planners don't have a funding model that keeps them rooted long-term in their place? Almost all will leave their ministry when funding runs out. Many will then leave ministry altogether. Welcome. This is the Unconventional Ministry Podcast, where the conversation is about fresh ministry ideas and innovative ministry approaches. I'm Dennis Weens, your host, Senior Impact Catalyst at Sat7 USA. My guest is Sean Benish, joining me here on the Unconventional Ministry Podcast to explain a new model of church planting. Sean is a founder and CEO of a new church planting model called Intrepid Missions. Sean has been involved in church planting for nearly 20 years. He is a church planting strategist. He's an author, a professor. He's written over 20 books related to church planting, cities, and social enterprises. Currently, he teaches at Warner Pacific University and is a program lead for the Digital Media and Communications Program. So, Sean, we have a lot to talk about. Welcome to the Unconventional Ministry Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. You know, and I'm on your list, so I get your emails. And there was an, <laughs> there was an email that said that uh, we should throw out most of the rules in ministry. <laughs> and that attracted me. What were mm. you thinking about throwing out all the rules? And what did you notice that led you to that conclusion that in church planning here in America, we probably need to throw out most of the rules and do it differently? Yeah. Um, yeah. So. First of all, no conspiracy theories or anything like that. So I would say there are two, I would say, main threads that kind of go into my thinking that have influenced me this way. And obviously, we say things like throw the rules out, people's ears perk up. So I don't mean it in like a, you know, rebellious kind of way. I just had noticed, like, first of all, kind of one of the threads in my own personal life is you know, right after college, not right after college, right before college, I became a Christian and that totally did a 180. I was going to go into art and shifted completely over to transferring schools and go to a university focusing on preparation and ministry. And so my thought was kind of this wrestling with this call of ministry and missions and like, let's go for it. And I found myself over time moving into pastoral ministry and then in church planning. And all the while, it was like the deeper I kept going into this world, like the more detached I was from people who didn't identify as followers of Christ. And it's kind of like the, and I, and I saw that in many of my friends and contemporaries, it's almost like the deeper in the wormhole of ministry one goes, the less connected they are with people who are not followers of Jesus. So I thought, oh, there's, wait, what's going on with that? Why, <laughs> this is the, what I thought I was doing, and yet I keep moving in the opposite direction. And I would say the other big part too with that was, um, it ended up being part, like a significant part of the research for my dissertation in that I really was interested to figure out kind of this idea of the geography of church planning and where church planners are starting new churches. And I would take all the data. I think I had at that time, it's been a while, like 250 different church plants plotted them on the map. And I could see in different cities throughout the Western part of the U.S., I could definitely see where they're being planted. But I was then more also interested in figuring out why. And so send a follow-up interview survey to a number of them asking like, okay, so why 
Why did you decide to plant a church where you did? What were that? What were those motivating factors? And what I discovered was most church planters, basically the deciding factor of where they decided to plant a church was kind of really like it there. Now, obviously, the primary response that everyone gave was like, God called me, which I'm not going to argue with that. But basically, once you take that off the list, every decision had to do with like, I it was a cool neighborhood, like it was a great suburban setting for my family. And it had like nothing to do with like ministry needs. And and that was also also identifying or recognizing at the time is like, we just continue to cluster church plants in the same parts of the city, whether it was the suburbia of yesteryear or the cool urban cores of today. Like we continue to plant churches in really desirable, cool, family-friendly parts of the city. And at the same time, huge swaths of the city continue to be overlooked. So those two threads were part of my thinking to go like, wait, if we just keep doing what we're doing, we're going to continue to be detached from places and people of need and how do we rectify this? Through your research, you found that most church plants fail because the funding, when the funding starts, mm-hmm. yep. then it doesn't continue. And then those people actually, over a period of time, actually leave ministry. Mm-hmm. So a lot of your things I've been reading are about sustainability and yeah. like micro enterprise and mm-hmm. creating models that create a funding model that makes the church plant sustainable. And you're yes. also not looking where they like to go. You're looking at marginalized communities. Uh, yeah. You're looking at the need of the community and starting your church plans there. So that was pretty interesting. How does your model work? Well, I would like to say it's a model I invented, but actually it's as old as Paul himself, right? Um, I would say it's not as much of a model, but you alluded to it in that one of the primary motiva- or one of the primary reasons why church plans fail is simply because of funding in that Most plants are built on like a front end, um, very capital intensive funding model. And so planters are given three to five years of funding in hopes of getting some kind of church off the ground and that people will begin tithing and then, you know, meet the demands of the budget as outside force outside sources continue to slowly dry up. And what we've seen, what I've seen in the last 20 years is it doesn't matter if a church planner comes into a city with a million dollars of funding or none. Basically, it's, well, I guess none would be different. Basically, the same storyline is true. As soon as the funding run dries, they're out. They're gone. They leave town. They go do something else. And so to me, that's very problematic in that, mm-hmm. like, again, everyone's like, oh, God's called me. God's called me. Like, so wait, you're saying God's call is only validated because there's funding? I thought you really love these people. I thought you're here. And so that was really, and has been disturbing for me to go, all right, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a way to think long-term. And so then, you know, part of my shifting has thinking, because we always talk in terms of like, what's a sustainable plant? What's a sustainable plant? And my thought has changed to, well, more than a sustainable plant, because actually we know it doesn't, it literally costs no money to plant a church. Like it, it costs nothing. Now, obviously, that's a different conversation than the funding and salary needed to sustain a living in a city. So my shifting went from like, how do we plant or how do we sustain a church plant to like, how do we make a church planter sustainable? Because if the planter is sustainable, well, the church is going to be sustainable because it doesn't cost any upfront. Obviously, now they could go into a place where they're renting out a theater and it's $10,000 a week. There's that. But 
I would rather address how do we help planters become more sustainable rather than the plant. And so again, then that gets my thought process down, startups, social enterprise. So it's kind of like this, it actually was, you know, over a number of years, quite a sequential process, a linear process. So, you know, it's kind of wrestling with this and then we go to this and this and this. And now all of a sudden it's like, okay, well, then how do we get church planners, pastors, and missionaries? How do we get them to be financially sustainable and have an outside income stream that not only sustains them, but also addresses some of the things that I was talking way back when about gets them at the crossroads of culture and society and out of the Christian or ministry bubble. And to me, startups are a great way, a great way, not the only way, but a great way to do that. What would be an example of a church planner where you created a sustainable income model for them in a you know, community that wasn't just nice place where they wanted to live, but really there was need or marginalized community? Uh, what would be an example so our podcast listeners can visualize uh, this model you're talking about? Uh, that's a good question. And one of the challenges with startups is most often they take a long time to really get up and going. And not everyone has the desire to have whatever they start be their exclusive form of income. So some will do it I would say most do it as what may be called like a side hustle or whatever, but more supplementary. So I would say most that I've worked with at this point, again, maybe in five years, 10 years down the road, once their their businesses and nonprofits have grown that much more, it might become their primary form of income. But most are operating where it is driving some kind of income to them personally. Yeah, I mean, I've had people start anything from, you know, creative companies like uh, like creative digital companies, marketing companies, coaching companies, coffee. Coffee seems to be big. Um, personal training, again, photography, those kind of things. So a lot of kind of more hands-on artisan kind of startups in the digital creative artisan space. Yeah, that's good. Um, and your ministry is Intrepid Missions. Yes. Mm-hmm. Where does where does that uh, name come from? I was thinking and wrestling with again, how do I communicate not just what I'm trying to do, but in a sense, kind of my target audience of who I'm going after. And so, I think by nature, those who come through Intrepid for coaching to help them launch a for profit or nonprofit, they kind of tend to be outliers at this point in ministry, because again, the conventional form of ministry, especially in planting, is not to do this. And and I would say even still the, to this day, this kind of way of approaching church planting in the U.S. is not popular. Most, if they had the choice, would be like, of course, I'd rather get funded full-time, five years, 10 years to do ministry, and that's it. I don't want to think about starting something. So I was... Yeah, I don't know how, but that kind of the name Intrepid. Like I'm, I was thinking almost like this kind of backcountry explorer, off the map kind of person who, um, just doing things different. They know they're wired different. They want to do something different, and they're not going along conventional lines. Which again, I would argue, is not really conventional. And I think that's the beauty of the story of Paul is that. You know, obviously, we try to build a lot of theologies of funding from Paul, but what we do know is this he had a combination of outside funding, but then there was a lot of times where he was self funded. And we saw this many times, or he would 
He would say, listen, thank you for your funding, but I'm going to decline. I'm going to work on my own hands so you don't question my motives. I'm bringing the gospel to you free of charge. So we see Paul as a great example of who was entrepreneurial. Again, we don't know what kind of entrepreneur he was. Was he good? Was he not so good? But we do know at at various points throughout his ministry, he was self-funded as well. And again, he got outside funding like we do fund international missionaries today. Very interesting uh, to look outside the box, uh, be unconventional in your, you know, your approach to church planning. And how has the local church embraced this idea, or maybe they haven't embraced this idea of uh, doing church planning in this very different way? I w- yeah, I would still say it's not, it's not popular. And I think one of the hard parts is you know, hearing the stories of those that I had been coaching. And they're <laughs> unfortunately way too many of them had been at odds with their funding networks or denominations. I remember having one planter where like his his funding denomination literally said to him, like, hey, we understand we have a framework of you spending again as a church planter with maybe 30 people. And they just are they're like, we understand you spending 15, 20 hours a week in sermon preparation. We have a, we have a, that makes sense. But you spending 15, 20 hours a week launching a startup, I, we think we're going to have to cut your funding. We don't get that. Right. Unfortunately, I hear, I hear that story way too much, way too much. So there's, there's not every org, not every denomination, but I've, I've heard way too many disconnects between planter wanting to move out and do something like this. And again, I think that's that challenge in funding. Cause honestly, if you have five years of funding, take a city like Portland. And if you truly want to go after those who are not church background or anything like that, it may take you 10 years just to get a core group. And I think that's also why most church plants target and grow their church plants through other Christians from other churches. And that's kind of like, to me, one of the dirty secrets of church planning is that most often successful church planning is you just did a great job of grabbing a lot of disconnected Christians and you got them together for an hour on Sunday and you're able to grow that. And I think those who have a heart for those who are not interested in church, not interested in Jesus, and they want to do true missionary work, they have to have some kind of funding source that's going to be long-term so for our podcast listeners that want to look more into this model, they can go to intrepidmissions.com. Correct. And once they go to that website, uh, where should they navigate to start their research? Um, well, right the homepage, you can click on Learn More, which tells you more about um, the coaching that um, I help people with. Um, again, most people, the program that I offer is I help people launch their business. Um, so most people have an idea of, I think I want to start something, and I walk through the process from idea to launch with them. And you've written books on this. You've done your PhD studies on this. Uh, you've learned a lot. Uh, you've seen a lot. So I encourage our podcast listeners uh, to check out this model and to read some of your stories on your website um, any other advice you have for somebody that wants to maybe uh, venture out into a church plant in in their town or maybe a neighboring town? Yeah, just continue to explore and look for creative ways to fund it. Yeah, because funding seems to be one of the 
the reasons why so much of these church plants fail mm-hmm. is because the funding runs out. But if you create a sustainable model of income, it can take you a long way. So, Sean, this is yes. very interesting. You do a lot of different things on your website, your personal <laughs> website as well. So uh, thank you for joining the Unconventional Ministry Podcast and sharing this uh, unique and creative way to plant churches. Thank you. This is the Unconventional Ministry Podcast. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please share it with your friends and leave a comment. Sat7 is a Middle East and North Africa broadcast media ministry making God's love visible and the gospel available to everyone in the Middle East and North Africa. Sat7 USA has resources in helping you honor God while protecting your family. You can avoid another regret, which is the failure of not creating an estate plan. Through a partnership with Financial Planning Ministry, Sat7 USA provides Christian experts to assist you in preparing your will or trust, all at no financial cost to you. Visit www.sat7usa.org and click on the tab Planned Giving for more information. Sat7 simplifies the process and makes it easy for you so that your family and friends don't have to bear the burden and regret of your failure to create an estate plan. Thank you again for joining this episode of the Unconventional Ministry Podcast.